Are you ready? I guess. There's so much there's so much here, Daniel. We need a we need a pre pre show. Yep. I was, I was talking I was talking to you and I was like, we need to try and keep these episodes under an hour and then then we have today's episode. It it's pro- it'll probably be under an hour. Nobody really knows. Like, but like we're gonna need to do uh, two pre-shows because like this is this is pretty pre-showy already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like my pre-show is a little it's, it's a little camera gear podcasty, mm-hmm. and so you might have to play the intro twice. <laughs> I don't know about that. I need like a second <laughs> intro so we can go deeper. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just one podcast level deeper. Yeah, yeah. it's like like our version of Inception. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna move my drink to the other side. It's also like. Uh, like opening and closing parentheses and programming where mm-hmm. if we, for the number of times we play the intro, we also have to play the outro. Yep. So we would have to have this inner podcast that <laughs> starts and ends. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. And then, and then our second outro can be us talking about the vision pro. No, oh, there you go. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. It's just, this show would be so long. <laughs> Take me three weeks to edit. All right. This is where we play the first intro. Do, 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 do. All right. I kind of mentioned this like in the previous episode, but the episode before that, we were talking about something and I don't even remember what, but as a result, I put on my list, I think we were talking about that, that Canon lens. We're like, oh, this, this is a Canon zoom. That's like 150 to 800. And yeah. It's yeah. 200 like, to 800. 200 to 800. Mm-hmm. It's like the longest zoom or something that you can buy right now. Yeah. And obviously I was like, well, what's the longest lens I can buy right now for a modern camera mount mirrorless? And it's a Canon lens. Shocker. It's still not an icon. <laughs> Canon out here is making all these crazy lenses. And you can go out there and you can buy a Canon 1200 millimeter F8 for RF mount. <laughs> it's a long reach. You know how much of this thing's going to set you back? I have no idea. I'm scared to ask. All right. Well, I'm going to list a few things and see if you can, you know, we're going to like over under it. Okay. okay. Do you think it costs more or less than a Ducati? Uh, I have no idea how much those cost. You know, what is that? Probably like like eight or nine thousand dollars, probably something like that. Actually, I should have picked. Up, I should have picked a Vision Pro first. Yeah, more or less than a Vision Pro. I think it's more than a Vision Pro and less yes. than a Ducati. It's actually more than both of those. Oh my gosh! More or less than a red V Raptor, not the new one. Oh come on! It's got to be less than that. Those are like seventeen thousand dollars. I'm shaking my head no right now. Very dramatically. <laughs> All right. How much does this thing cost? Come on. It's like 20 grand. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Who's buying that? I don't know, man. People who need 1,200 millimeters at full frame. Apparently. Like, like okay. Well, well, Lucas, why wouldn't I just shoot micro four thirds? Exactly. Why wouldn't I shoot micro four thirds? The, the longest micro four third lens you can buy right now is the new Olympus lens that just came out. And it's not Olympus. You can't say Olympus anymore because they're not allowed to. Mm, it's an OM, o- OM system. systems lens. Yes. Which is actually just a remounted Sigma uh, 150 to 600. Like it's almost exactly the same lens. It's it's like heavy. Mm-hmm. It's the base. It's like a 14 pound full frame lens, but for Micro Four Thirds. Mm-hmm. But it's still the longest Micro Four Third lens you can buy, and that's 1200 millimeters it, uh, equivalent. It, it, equivalent. Yeah, effectively. So it's not it's not even longer, Daniel. <laughs> I mean, I would have to imagine that the weight and size are are pretty drastically different between them. Not even. This 1200 millimeter is impressively 7.4 pounds. <laughs> and you can put it on the 2X teleconverter. That 7.4 pounds is less. It's 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 close to a third of the weight of that Edelkron tripod we talked about last week. <laughs> sure. True. 
I mean, I mean, that's I don't I'm not really going deep on this. That was all. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. This thing is just insane. That's ridiculous. And it's like it's like seven pounds, and you can focus on things up to fourteen feet from you. <laughs> I I can't even picture what four what twelve hundred millimeters would look like. Yeah, that's insane. But it feels like. You know, the advantage of shooting crop or micro four thirds is like smaller, really long telephotos Mm -hmm. and the mid range. Sure. You can get into that 500 to 800 range pretty effectively, but basically anything above 1200 doesn't exist. But this led me down the hole of the, of like the big boys, like the real big boys. And so I'm going to, I'm going to list you a few of these, a few of these, uh, Super bad lenses okay. that uh, we're probably not really going to talk about. I'm All not right. going to get into it, Daniel. But if you're in the world of like, I need something more than a thousand millimeters, you got the Nikkor 1200 to 1700 <laughs> zoom. <laughs> yeah, boy. And now when you when you picture these, just imagine that you need two people to carry them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a crew served um, camera lens. It's just like we're talking... Like fifty pounds or more, kind of thing. These things are huge. It's ridiculous. Uh, there's the there's the Canon twelve hundred millimeter five point six, which was a legendary lens, if you remember. Huh. There's the Zeiss APO Sonar T seventeen hundred millimeter, which is an f four lens. Wow. For six by six film, <laughs> and that lens is freaking huge. Yeah, I can't imagine. It's bigger than your car. That's not true, but it's huge. Like <laughs> you're like. Actually, could it be? <laughs> yes, it could be. Uh, and then there's the, which, man, we were probably going to have to talk about this one at some point. I think most people are familiar with it. Uh, the Sigma 300-800, which is affectionately known as the Sig Monster. Mm. And that thing's enormous, too. Yeah. And it also comes in green. Huh. Because it's a monster. Interesting. And that one's F5.6? Sure is. Yeah. So some of these are you know, notably faster than the one that uh, mm-hmm. you first brought up. Yep. Yep. Okay. But that, what that really leads me into is a legendary lens. Ah. And this is where you play the intro. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. Actually, I have a name for this one this time. Mm, you've named it. What is it? What's the, well, it's the, the... I always name these segments, Daniel. Yeah, but usually you're coming up with it after you've already talked okay. about it. Special order, I'll take two. Nothing? <laughs> it's so good. If you say so. Okay. I'm talking about the Leica APO T-L-Y-R. Jeez, I, I don't want to say it out loud because it's too hard. T-E-L-Y-T-R. 1600 millimeter F5.6. 1600 millimeter. Mm-hmm. So that's why you ended up on this from our previous discussion. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But like, obviously, maybe not as impressive as like that Zeiss 1700 millimeter. I mean, or the Nikkor. It's pretty close. And it says Leica. But it is very fast at 5.6. Mm-hmm. And this lens is regarded by some as the most expensive lens ever made. Oh, wow. There were two of them. And they're both like prototypes or whatever. But the reason this lens exists is because it was special ordered by the minister of Qatar in 2006. <laughs> so that's not that long ago. No. Wow. But he was like, can you guys make me this lens? <laughs> is he a photographer? I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm not going to pronounce his name either. I wrote it here in the show notes. Mm-hmm. 
No, that'd be a right. real, real bad idea. But to be said, special order by the Minister of Qatar. How much do you think this lens cost? I mean, 2006 wasn't that long ago. So, you know, inflation hasn't been that crazy since then. I don't know. I mean, and we've had some pretty expensive lenses on this show. We sure have. Yeah. All of which have claimed to be the most expensive lenses. Oh, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, $210,000? Daniel, you think too small. <laughs> this, is, this is like over the GDP of some countries. <laughs> It, this thing, probably not. Those would be really small countries. It's it's two million dollars is supposedly how much this lens cost. So so he and then there's two of them. So did, like, did I he maybe buy they both? kept one? He took one, oh, okay. or maybe he bought two for two million. I don't know exactly. Yeah. Well, but what I understand <laughs> is it's a lot of money. Two million dollars, and it's this Leica sixteen hundred millimeter f five point six. That is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It probably only cost a million, and then they put Leica on it, then they had to double mm-hmm. the price. Yeah, that's pretty much how that works. Yep. Mm-hmm. This thing is 132 pounds. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you're you're absolutely using it on a tripod, and that's when you need like your camera squire to carry your gear around for you. Multiple right? multiple camera squires. It has like handles on it, and it's this all metal construction, and so like they both grab it by the handles oh, to wow. like, lift this thing. It has a has like a reticle, like a target on mm-hmm. it, so that you can like that's aim, how uh, aim it. That's how telescopes work. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. So you can like aim it before before you like go and look through this insane lens. You know, really, it's actually, I mean, you know, all this aside, it's actually the lightest camera lens ever made because normally you would transport <laughs> your camera gear in either an airplane or in a wheeled vehicle. And that's it's very easy to transport stuff that way. And then once you have it on the tripod, it, it effectively doesn't weigh anything. Right, because you're not holding it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty much the lightest lens. <laughs> that's... Yep, that's how logic works. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Edelcrum. Yep, uh, just still, still funny. Anyway, this thing, this thing is just absolutely insane. You can put it on a teleconverter, so you can two X it out to you know thirty two hundred millimeters. I would not have been interested in buying it otherwise. Yeah, so. I mean, if you're buying a telephoto, you know, you want the teleconverter. Obviously, you're not gonna spend two million dollars not be able to put a teleconverter yeah. on it. What is what is this? Okay, uh, we talked about how many. We talked about teleconverter. Uh, this thing has a the barrel of this thing is like 420 millimeters and so it, i don't think it has a filter thread on it but we're just going to go ahead and say that it's a 420 filter thread mm, i like it yeah yeah and it's about four feet long <laughs> that's crazy what uh what what mount is this okay this is Leica r mount and this is the last Leica r mount lens ever made i didn't i don't even know what like r mount is so well they stopped making them in 2006 oh, okay with this behemoth <laughs> It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's. I, I wonder. I really wonder what he was doing with it. You know what? What this guy wanted. They, this for. If you you can go read the article, we can throw that in the show notes. It kind of talks about like why, but I don't know. This is a this is a legend. <laughs> End of an era. Really stopped that arm out with an exclamation point. Yeah, yeah. They went out with a bang on that mm-hmm. for sure. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's too cool. Okay, let's talk about more old stuff. Oh man. Do you know what? Sounds, sounds like we're talking about film again. <laughs> uh, this is actually our, our Global Sensor episode. Hopefully, you named the, the podcast Global Sensor Spectacular. Uh, I mean, I don't. That's a good title. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Mm. We'll, we'll get there. We'll All get right. there. We're not there yet. It's going to take a while. I actually forgot to start my timer. So, we're going to start now. It's going to be an hour from this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you know anything about the Rolly 35? 
I'm probably saying that wrong. It's R-O-L-L-E-I. Role. No, I, I've never heard of this. No? No. No? No. It's not the smallest 35 millimeter film camera ever made, but it is like top three smallest film cameras ever made. It's just this like super tiny, like 1960-ish era film camera. And I wish I wrote down the dimensions, but it's just like, it's just like a little baby camera, super tiny. Like they can't even put the dials on the top, they're on the front. So when you look at the front of this thing, it's like circle, 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 and the middle circle's the lens. And the left circle, like looking on it, is the shutter speed, and the right circle's the ISO. Oh, weird. And so you like you're holding the camera, and then you like tilt the camera back, and then you can see the top of those dials, and you can, like turn them. Oh, weird. Yeah, and you just set your exposure that way. When you put the, they don't have a film door on it because it's so small. the The whole body just slides off. <laughs> That's an interesting design. It's just like a super cool little thing, yeah. and like the the lidar things on it kind of break, and you can still maybe buy one for you know a couple hundred bucks mm. on eBay or whatever. But usually they're kind of broken. So it's like the nineteen sixties X one hundred V. It's smaller than that, man. I think it's crazy, tiny, huh? Just a little tiny little camera, and it had a, a forty millimeter three point five lens on it, and it like pops out so that you can <laughs> you can only take pictures. It's this cool little thing, and I really want one, but. Have you ever heard of the camera company Mint? No, no, I've heard of uh, I've heard of the Mint financial tracking app, but I don't think that's the same thing. Very similar. Oh, slash not similar at all. They're not actually like a camera camera company, but what they do is they refurb old cameras. Mm, okay, like iconic old cameras, mm-hmm. and like they'll add add new features to them. So like they'll fix all the you know the if had like autofocus or the like the light sensors and uh, they have a one version of a, um, of like a two tool dual lens camera where they add like an OLED on the side of the, of the mirror. Cool. So you can like look at the, you can see like your, your settings and do all your things. And so like they, they basically like modernize old cameras to like bring them back into relevancy. And they're going to make a new version of the Roly. And they're going to call it the Rolly 35 AF. Oh, like they licensed the name or something? Yep, name or something? yep. They, they have licensed the name. And they're basically taking they're taking that old camera and they're doing like an entirely new housing. And they're working on putting it together. And like it's going to be, they're saying it's going to be like six to $800. And it'll have autofocus and it's supposed to come out like this summer. Huh. That sounds pretty cool. So like little niche uh, new film camera. It's interesting that it, in some ways it kind of feels like there's a resurgence of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, I don't think that's the first one you've talked about where somebody's kind of making, you know, a new film camera or film style camera. And, and I mean, we kind of talked a few weeks ago about, you know, why do pe- why are people interested in this stuff with things like the Camp Snap and all that? And uh, I don't know, it's interesting. I'm pretty sure I recently said that, you know, we were the reason about for all the all the microphone stuff. That sounds familiar. And then uh, probably the film camera industry also. Oh, man. It's happening. Well, people need to be it's paying right attention here. to this podcast mm-hmm. to see what's next. Trend. Setters. Yep. I'm gonna turn this around so you can see this puppy. Look at that. Look how cute it is. Oh, that's pretty cool looking. Is that how the, is that is that what the new one's gonna look like as well? Yeah, they're gonna. I think that this is an example of what the new one is. Okay. Or that's so the, the new, new one, one does have the dials on the front too. That's their goal. Yeah, they're just gonna kind of cool. repackage. It's a rangefinder, so like you're not looking through the lens, obviously, but that helps them make it a little smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really fun. Are you having a hard time picking? You know, like for your future film cameras. I mean, we've talked about all these different options, like. Hasselblads and this and I mean all kinds of different things like do you think you'd ever get something like this yes <laughs> have you already put in a pre-order 
They're not pre-ordering yet, Daniel. Uh-huh. I want one of these. I should sign up for the this, newsletter, though. This versus X100 V Mark II. What you going for? I, w- I would get the X100, the deuce, uh, over this, probably, because uh, okay. make it kind of fits a little more what I'm into right now. But, like, I want this camera, and I want... Uh, it's probably going to be like, too expensive because you have to buy it used and whatever. And, like, this is newish, right? If I'm going to spend $600 on a film camera, I kind of want it to be... Like know what's going to work and not have to do a lot of work sure. on it. Yeah, but I still want one of those. Uh, what, what was it called? The uh, uh, geez, I'm blanking on the name. It's the those Fujifilm uh, Natura cameras. I want one of those because it has like that low light mode. Yeah, and, yeah, we talked about that a while mm-hmm, back. And I want a, a Canonet T73 or whatever it is because those have a 1.7 lens on them and they're like all manual. And then I still think it would be cool to have an Auto Boy, and then I want this one. And I want one of those Canon uh, film cameras that has like the eye detect stuff on it. You know, in the past, I've given you a hard time about how many Fuji lenses you own. But I feel like a year from now, I'm going to be able to give you a hard time about how many film cameras you own. The fun thing about all these film cameras is all the ones that I'm into already have the lens on them. So we're not like getting into a new lens ecosystem. I'm just like uh, buying cameras. I'm going to have like, I could put them all on a shelf or something. Oh man, I can see where this is going. Oh boy, I still, I still haven't finished my second roll through that iMatic. Really? <laughs> yep, I've been shooting on that for like a week and a half. Oh man, well you don't have the scanner yet, right? So you can't develop your own film yet. No, the the scanner that was promised to me has not arrived, mm. and I'm worried it's now never going to arrive. Yeah, and I'm going to have to like all of a sudden go buy a scanner, which is really like half the reason why I had been on the fence in the first place. <sighs> And, like, you can't buy scanners from Epsom anymore. It's annoying how those things have gotten expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went back and I looked when I bought that thing in 2018. I bought it. I spent, like, $200 on it. And now they're, like, $350. Oh, man. That's surprising. It's ridiculous. They were they refurbished. They were $150, like, three or four years wow. ago. Yeah. And I guess, again, probably with, you know, people with film seeming to somehow be popular again, I guess those things are just more in demand now. They are. And Epsom doesn't seem to be in a hurry to make anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how that works sometimes. You know, you always feel like if I wait longer, it's going to get cheaper, not more expensive. But then sometimes things stop being made and then they suddenly get more expensive. Not with this film. Yeah, with this film stuff, Daniel. It's, uh, so you got to strike while the iron's hot. Apparently. And the iron was hot 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now everybody's like buying up all these, all these, uh, AE1s and what have you. The camera store down here was running an event in, up in Waco, Texas. Huh. To do uh, to like, we'll buy all of your your old film cameras. Oh yeah, that's it. They're gonna buy them all there, and then they're gonna come back to here and sell them to all the hipsters. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's if, pretty if I genius, was, honestly. <laughs> if I was a a business person, I'd do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, pretty smart. <laughs> yep. Anyway, I don't know. That's. I think this is cool. I had never heard of my camera before, and now they're on my radar, and I want one of these things. Yeah. Well, maybe whenever it comes out, we can uh, update and see what people think of it. Yep, that'll be like this summer or something. Cool. Okay, all right. Main topic. And this is a big one. Seems like there's a, a lot to cover here. I mean, it's a spectacular. It so, is, uh, yeah. High expectations really, for a spectacular. Really going to dig in here. Um, I'm kind of going a little bit a little bit back into some, uh, some Camera Gear podcast roots. Going to try to get a little extra technical today. Maybe not. We'll see. So, like, the A9 III came out, and mm-hmm. we were all pumped about that. And then Canon announced their new global sensors, which you probably don't even know happened. I, I, I didn't know that happened. Yeah, turns out you weren't paying attention. Did they announce a camera with it too? No, not just the sensors. Interesting. 
It was a it was like a CES thing. Oh, oh, okay, that's pretty recent then. Yeah, it was like January second or something, and then Red, out of nowhere, drops the new V Raptor X and V Raptor XLF. I did hear about that. Now I did say that wrong, but I'm shortening it because it's it would just be really annoying to say V Raptor open bracket X close bracket XLF, and so I'm just going to go ahead and shorten that for the rest of the podcast. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing with that name. It doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. <laughs> it's cooler when it's in brackets, Daniel. Mm. Have you seen Have you seen a red camera? It looks like a box. What do two brackets look like? Oh. <laughs> oh. I see I see what you're doing there. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, what all the stuff I have in common global sensors obviously. And I feel like generally like everyone's been talking about global sensors cuz now, you know, they're starting to starting to come right it's we're starting to see actual full frame global sensors which haven't really been a thing until like last october yeah, right yeah i mean there were cameras with them before but like, yeah and yeah. so there's just been explainer after explainer of like what's a global sensor and it's like it reads it all at once and it's like okay okay cool and i feel like and they're like oh well why wouldn't what's the pro like is there a drawback? Is this just like perfectly good and we're just, that's where we're going? Everyone's like, ah, oh, you know, more noise, worse dynamic range. And that's, that is like the surface level of global sensors. Yeah. And whenever you try to like dig deep and find out like, okay, well, like, but why? Like, why is the noise worse? Like what's going on here that is, is it like a different type of technology? Like how is it that much different than CMOS and like a rolling sensor that it's going to, like what makes it have worse noise? And, you know, like, is it, is it that much more complicated? Like what's what's going on kind of on like a, a sensor technology level? And I feel like people don't really care about sensor technology as much as I care about sensor technology. <laughs> I, I think that's and, probably true. And so it's like, if you want to know, you know, how many uh, like circuits are in, in a RAM chip on an iPhone or something, like somebody knows. They're like, oh yeah, we counted them one by one. There's a billion. It took me a while, but I figured it out. <laughs> Camera sensors? Nope. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just... Well, like, I don't even think it's well-guarded secrets. I think people just don't care. Yeah, I mean, most people are going to care more about the impact of it. And that's why we all know Global Sensors doesn't have rolling shutter and that it's probably going to have worse noise. And those are just kind of rules of thumb or, like, you know, observed characteristics that we all know. And that's all most people need to care about because most people aren't you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why, like, what is different in a Global Sensor that makes it so that you can read out Read it out all at once. I don't. I'm curious. Okay, so like, whenever you like, you ha you you, act, you have a sensor, mm -hmm. CMOS CCD is actually more similar to global sensors than CMOS. It turns out, as far as like how fast they read, they were just really noisy, and so like maybe that's the answer. We should all just go back to CCD sensors. Anyway, uh, so for like a normal rolling shutter CMOS sensor, you activate the sensor, and then the shutter drops and then the back shutter drops right behind it so it's like a like a an opening that kind of moves across the sensor mm -hmm. to drop the light in and it's like you have a bunch of buckets that you just fill with light and then one by one a row by row the sensor will read each of those lines and dump the information off of the sensor and so what's different about a global shutter is that each of those pixels has a capacitor and so instead of it like pouring in and then reading each line, zoom, 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 because it can't really store that information. The capacitors then store it. So what happens is it drops the shutter, collects all the light onto the sensor, and then it reads it out line by line. Okay. So, I mean, like we could, we could kind of simplify that by saying that it's almost like each, because 
the individual pixels on the sensor, I think are called photosites maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could basically say it's as though each of those photosites has like a tiny little bit of memory. Yep. And it can remember how much light hit it. And then that way, whenever the whenever the rest of the system gets around to reading it, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, five milliseconds ago or whatever. This is how much light there was. Yeah, exactly. Except it's doing it with a capacitor, not with like any sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Because yeah. we're at we're at that level. Yeah, of it's like, lower level electrical stuff. So. Yeah. It's trying to get it into memory. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the whole idea. And so you're adding these more complex components. And if you remember, we talked about like dual pixel AF forever ago. And it was like, oh, you know, some people were worried that dual pixel autofocus would have like worse noise performance because you're splitting every pixel in half and you have smaller pixels now. Right. It's kind of the same deal with global sensors is like you only have so much space in front and in front and behind these sensors and they're so small that it's like, you know, you got to fit that capacitor in there somewhere. And as a result, maybe your photo sites aren't as big as they could have been if they were like a rolling shutter type. Sure. So smaller sensors, less light gathering, more noise. There you go. Mm-hmm. And so that's that that's sense. part of it. And then the other part is like how quick how quick it reads, right? And then like how much how much you can store. And so you start running into the limits of like the electronics themselves. As like how much light can I actually store in this capacitor? Like how much electricity can I store in this capacitor? And how does that relate to like how I'm interpreting the light? Like if you think of, I mean, once you like once you get to the chip side, right? You're you're like, okay, here's 16 bits of of data or whatever, and it's like one bit is one stop, and like all the way up to 16 stops, and you're kind of like mathematically, you know, okay, the, the smallest number is is the, the darkest, and the biggest number is the brightest. Well, the capacitor can only hold like so much, so much like electrical information as far as, you know, linearly deciding that gradient. Yeah. And so it's like you're kind of limited by the like what those capacitors can do and then how like how long those sensors are exposed and like the and the noise and the size. And so it's like all of those things combined just make it that much more complicated. And as a result, it's just that much more noisy. Interesting. And so like that, that's why that's why it's noisier. And has less dynamic range. I guess basically it's, I, I can't think of a great example, but I mean, it's like if you think of where, if you think of like what the forefront of technology is, like however far we've gotten with this technology, because rolling shutter or rolling sensors are simpler, it's like it's always going to be ahead of where global sensors are. Because like whatever you can do with photo sites and like, you know, however however far we've pushed that, like you're always going to be able to do better on a rolling sensor than what you can do on the corresponding global. Is that what you're basically saying? No, I would say that it's a matter of where the development and the focus on that technology is. If people stopped like advancing rolling shutter CMOS sensor technology and started focus on global sensor technology, I'm sure that it could be as good, if not better in the long term. It's just a matter of like where that development time is focused. Okay. And that's kind of like one of the big things about these new V Raptors is they're coming out saying well, you lose no image quality and you lose no dynamic range with these new sensors. It's a it's a pure benefit hmm. over our previous sensors. I wonder is that a, is that a believable claim? Who knows? Because <laughs> of course they're going to say that. Yeah. Well, they're they're also saying things like these things have 17 plus stops of dynamic range, and if you turn on the super highlight mode, it has over 20 stops of dynamic range. Mm, that's a little hard to believe. It's it's, it's hot garbage, Daniel. <laughs> Like I kind of went 
I also went kind of deep on dynamic range for a minute. Of we're, course, yeah. We're just gonna we're just, we're just gonna go ahead and take that aside right now. All right, here we go. Buckle <laughs> so, up. <laughs> so red like red advertises all of these stops at dynamic range, and if you're reading out if you're reading out linear raw off a sensor, like you know like if you um like bit like bit rate is basically exponential, right? It's like if you say a, a, it's a four bit thing, then it's two to the fourth, ten bit, two to the tenth. Yes. Light is also exponential, two stops, three stops, four stops, right? It, every stop is double. Well, yeah. it's not exponential, it's just double. Anyway, it's still similar, like two to the power. Yeah. So effectively, like if you're shooting in linear raw, 16-bit raw linear can store 16 bits of dynamic range information. Okay. Because the the most light gatherable that you can map to the data, like if you're map, you're mapping a number to a value, right? Here's the light, here's the number. The top number of value is like sixty thousand something or whatever. Yeah, it's like sixty five thousand. Yeah, it's like sixty five thousand five whatever. And so you that value corresponds with like the sixteenth stop. And these sensors that Red uses are sixteen bit sensors, so they can physically read sixteen stops at dynamic range. Interesting. Period. So when we say sixteen bits. We're, I mean, because because there's there's more to light than just how bright it is. It's also like, is it blue? Is it green? Sure, etc. So is that 16 bits per pixel or or per sub? Uh, so I guess it'd be per sub pixel. We're talking about comparatively the uh, like the sensitivity of the photosite on the sensor mm-hmm. and how many like what is the range of that photosite from the darkest to the brightest? And a photosite will generally be either you know red, green, or blue. Right. Okay. And like, and where this where this gets weird though, is that like you can d- interpret dynamic range in a lot of different ways. This is like the purely mathematically mm-hmm. sixteen, and you're done. And yeah. then you, like your camera is going to be like, if you have a sixteen bit sensor, maybe you get twelve and a half or thirteen. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get sixteen. Right. But like with all the processing and stuff that we're doing, like uh, there's a noise floor on the on the bottom end of this, and so like on the top end, like when you get to that. You know, number sixty five thousand five hundred thirty six, like that. You're you're done. You're capped. But on the low end, like where those numbers kind of start reading, gets a little goofy, and because it's just like how sensitive, how sensitive is that noise floor? Sure. And with like noise processing and this sort of thing, you can kind of start like extracting stops out of the noise floor, and that's where like within the processing and and like the camera image pipeline, you can start kind of maybe like pulling additional stops. And so it's like, how are we interpreting it as far as what is an actual like stop a dynamic range? And like, if you look at the scene, something that has like a really, really bright spot in it and then a dark spot may have less dynamic range than something that has a lot of like refracted lighting. That's interesting. It really has like more range to it because it's like the different, like how direct the light kind of impacts how you're reading the dynamic range. Huh. Okay. So it's like whenever you start really, really getting into it, it's just all fuzzy. Yeah. And so you have these camera companies that are like pulling more stops out of the shadows and like doing more image processing on their end to kind of like you have this 16 stop sensor and you push it up brighter so that you can increase your top end. And then you just start pulling stops out of the low end in order to kind of like make more stops mm-hmm. almost. And then you may like the scene impacts it and it's like all this stuff so that they can then claim like we have 20 stops of yeah. dynamic range off of a 16 stop sensor. Well, and we also know that it, it also depends how much noise reduction you're willing to do because 
you know, it's like, are you talking just like pure stops or is this usable stops? I mean, there's, mm-hmm. just, there's so much tricky stuff that can happen in that marketing. It's it's just, it's frustrating because like pure, like if you were talking like just pure specs, it's 16 and that's it. It's like stop, stop with all the marketing garbage. But like realistically with like the footage and like, what are you exporting to? There's like so many different things along that line of how many stops and dynamic range does this actually have? That camera companies can basically say whatever they want, and you they could you they don't have to back it up. I feel like when I buy cameras or when I'm looking at a new camera, I don't even I don't even really care about that number. I mean, I care in terms of things like knowing that the XH2S gives you more dynamic range if you're shooting, um, you know, in certain modes. Like that's that's useful information. Um, but like 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 I guess with that vlog too, you get the extra you know, whatever it is, but 14 bit readout. Yep. But I mean, it just, it seems like it's so fake and it's so easily manipulated for marketing material that I just care more about how it looks rather than, Oh, this one's X number of stops of dynamic range. Cause it just doesn't ever seem like that actually like translates to anything in reality where it's like, Oh yeah, this one has a lot of dynamic range and I can see that. And I benefit from that. Like maybe that's true, but it's not just from that number. I mean, it matters to me a lot, especially with, non-raw footage of like you're if you're shooting something and like you mess up and having that mm-hmm. room to make those corrections and to pull those highlights back or bring up those shadows it just it can help so much in your workflow and like if you're working with just a really constrained dynamic range on capture you have to be so much more careful well but but i get i agree with you that like the effects matter but I mean, are you really looking at that marketing material and trusting what it says? Oh, absolutely not. I think that like when I'm looking at the marketing material, the things that really stand out to me are like, what is the actual bit rate of the sensor? And then maybe like, how does it, how does it perform on like a Xyla test or something mm-hmm. in like a practical dynamic range test that's repeatable? And then are they doing anything goofy to like juice the numbers? Yeah. Cause that gets really annoying. Yep. And, but like most cameras, like S- Sony has, they think they're a lot of their sensors, like they're really good modern sensors for a 16 bit, but basically most like photo cameras that are full frame are like 14 bit. Yeah. Yep. And when they shoot video, they shoot it at 12 bit. Like the Fuji X-H2S is one of the only cameras that's like a mirrorless hybrid that is pulling an actual 14 bit off the sensor and not dropping it to 12 bit whenever it goes to video. And then the, like, that's just super interesting. But then the, the Aerie 35 has an 18 bit sensor readout which is nuts. And so like, even the reds over here claiming 20 stops of dynamic range on these new V-Raptor Xs, I think that the Airy 35, which is the Super 35 camera, is still probably gonna have more dynamic yeah, range. Because it, because it just has more data available. It's 18 bits instead of 16 bits. Right, it's gonna have more of like a cleaner top end. Mm-hmm. But like to your point though, it's like the actual dynamic range of like, you're gonna view this on a screen and like the actual, the output of like whatever the final delivery is gonna be, unless you're like delivering an HDR, like the dynamic range doesn't matter so much there. And if you go look at like the, uh, what was it? Season two of, um, wow, what was that HBO show with all the kids that they shot on film? I, I don't have a clue. Euphoria. They, they shot that on, it was like Ektar or something. And, uh, it was it, that the film stock that they shot it on, is like four or six stops. <laughs> it's, it's like really tight, but they lit it in a way that it worked. And then it had this like, really interesting look to it. A lot of people are really, really into it. 
And it's like, you don't have to have a billion stops at dynamic range. Yeah. Uh, it's just that if you don't have it, then you really have to control the capture side. Yeah. I wasn't even arguing that dynamic range doesn't matter. I just mean yeah. that the, the physical spec that you read, I don't ever trust. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say I agree with that because Canon's been advertising 16 to 18 stops at dynamic range on their cameras for years. And it's like, no, 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 stop it. <laughs> get, get out of here. I think that, I guess my point is like, look at the bit rate on the sensor if they advertise it and like, look at the pixel sizes and then just wait for, wait for like uh Cine D or whatever to, to do their testing. Yeah. Yep. I agree with that. Anyway. So point is red is saying that this, this global sensor is, doesn't have any of the problems that global sensors normally have. No, that's convenient. <laughs> and that it has uh if you turn on their super highlight mode, it has 20 stops of dynamic range. So tell me what this is. What is super highlight mode? Okay, it's a, uh, okay. So like this red V, the new V Raptors are crazy. Like they're just, they're just crazy. And, but basically it's the exact same as the V Raptor, but they swapped in this global sensor and then they added like new features because of the fast readout speed. So like it can do 8k at 120 frames per second oh, wow. at 16 bit off the sensor, which <laughs> is just obscene. That's a lot of data. That's crazy it's a lot of data but because of red raw it's like you can get an hour of footage is like a terabyte honestly that's not as bad it's as not you, that bad you know, it's pretty good if you're shooting like ProRes 444 it would be basically double that yeah that's crazy I didn't figure that I, you know I would never think that a raw format would be space efficient it's because it's compressed raw and that's why red will not let anyone else make compressed mm -hmm. raw because <laughs> they're like half the size it just makes raw viable. Everyone yeah. else has to shoot in like ProRes or Log because they can't deal with the linear raw data rates. Interesting. Well, I mean, they can deal with it, but like no one wants to. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Red. Anyway, so like because they have all this fast readout, they have new features that they can enable. And one of them is this like super highlight mode. I, I keep, I'm calling it that because I can't remember what they called it. Uh, extended highlights. And there's like a manual toggle on the camera, maybe. Maybe it's in software. There's a toggle that you can like flip to turn on extended highlights. And it's like the turbo button on a uh, sure. really old computer. And like it gives you more like range mm -hmm. in the high end. And it's all basically software. Because like as far as the camera's concerned, it's like here's the numbers off the sensor, dump. Like there's no like processing in the middle yeah. besides the compression. It's a, like that's, that's the whole point of raw video. You're dumping sensor information and then you're processing it in post. And so... For this, this deal here, it's like you, they can't capture all that information faster. For, or like it's using the extra frame information to extend the highlights. So, I mean, do you basically get a lower frame rate then? Is it like they're using two exposures and combining them? So they're not saying what they're doing, but I'm almost certain that that's probably it. That it's gonna, it's shooting like 8K 120, and then whenever you turn on extended highlights, you can only get like 8K 30 or 8K 60. Mm, I think the GH6 had a feature like this. Yeah, yeah. There's a few cameras out there that have been doing it that aren't phones. Yeah. Like, yeah, GH6 had the uh, that dynamic range boost. Yeah, where it's like, I mean, basically, it's like using a, a dual native ISO or something, where it's like you take one one frame dark and then another frame light, and then you combine them. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you we talked about like this is a 16 bit. That, like readout of dynamic range well you could change your ISO and shift that up a little bit yeah. capture shift it down a little bit and capture and then now you have like a 32 bits of dynamic range or something silly sure. like it's never really that much because yeah, the noise yeah, would, would be insane yeah. but like you might move it a stop or two mm -hmm. I think that's what they're doing it here, sounds like it must sort be. of like sort of because you can do this in post you can shoot 
just shoot regular, take all the data off the sensor that you, you captured and recorded, and then in your, your NLE, you can flip the switch to turn on highlight boost. And it's because, like, you know, all the, it's the process, it doesn't matter where the processing happens. You just need the data. So it's cool you can do it after the fact. But it does, you do take an impact on your frame rate. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, definitely not the same as saying, norm, you know, in all, in all conditions, you get more dynamic range. But at least they have some way to do it. Yeah, definitely. It's just, it's super duper cool. And it's, like, enabled because of all the readout speed off the global sensor. It yeah. just reads so stinking fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, like... I don't know if it's reading faster or not. I mean, it's probably like a stack sensor. And it enables them to go faster because they're doing like, um, they don't have to worry about the rolling shutter. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that would make the combining of the frames easier. Yeah. I wonder if it like runs into a buffer and like that's how it does it faster. Because it has to like collect all that data into the capacitors and has to dump them and then do it again and again and again really, really fast. But like maybe because it's global, like you don't have to... Like you can do a higher resolution faster because you can capture it, capture it all at once, capture it all at once, and then it's just a matter of like dumping it into a buffer to like then read off into into the video file. Mm. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I'm either. just I'm just totally guessing. Yeah. Point is, they're releasing the Red Raptor X, sorry, the V Raptor X, and then the V Raptor X LF, and so the X is their Super Thirty Five as you know the film cameras as god intended and then there's the this horrible beast the the lf which is larger than full frame it's but it's basically full frame it's a 21.6 by 30 40.9 so basically like 21 and a half by 41 it's just wider right mm-hmm. a normal normal full frame is 36 by 24 so you get four millimeters this way you lose a bit, a bit of height but it's more of a sure a wider aspect ratio so both of them global and both of them you can shoot 8k 120 pretty cool yeah and what they're they're doing the whole red upgrade program again and so if which i think i saw that they did that in the past and like lost money on everyone they did and they're like we're just going to try this again and see if we can do it yeah they've mentioned it because like the we've talked about this from red before where they came out with the komodo as a crash cam saw people were using it for a cams and said okay well like let's just make it good and give people a cheap and like they met the customers where they were and it's the same thing here. They know that all these people spent $20,000 or more on a V-Raptor and now like they want this global sensor. So what they'll do is they will take the sensor out of it and they'll put the new sensor in it's pretty it. pretty cool. Yeah. I know we like to give Red, you know, I, I feel like Red gets a lot of criticism, especially for, you know, the patents on the raw uh, and all that. But I mean, in a lot of ways, it seems like they're a customer-focused company and a lot of the decisions I see them make seem like they're pretty friendly to customers. Yeah, definitely. It. I think that when Red got their start, it was like a like an upstart, scrappy company that's like, we're going to make these cheap cinema cameras that are absolutely crazy and like do right. all the cool digital stuff. And it, that's still kind of the case. I think that Aerie still takes the cake on like, this is, you know, more polished and higher dynamic range. But I mean, if you're looking for a global sensor and you're looking for a full frame, it's this and it's the A7 III. <laughs> You mean the A93? Thank you, the A93. Yeah, Yeah, it's, I mean, that's interesting too. I didn't, I mean, we knew it was unique that the A93 had a global sensor in terms of hybrid mirrorless, but I didn't realize it was one of the only full frame global sensors. Yeah, I don't, like I, there is just isn't one. There's other like global cinema stuff, but full frame, that's it. Yeah. And so like, it makes you wonder where is RED getting this sensor? It does. Because. Yeah, like, is it a separate, are they using the Sony sensor? Is it something different? I don't know. 
I don't know. Maybe they're using that Canon sensor. Could they be. They do like Canon. They do put RF on everything. And and this did just come out right after Canon announced that global sensor. True. But that global sensor is actually like totally different than this uh, one. So okay. it's definitely not that. But they they say that they design their sensors in-house. But like I know that way back with the Monstro, they like bought that sensor. And so it's like unclear if they design them and someone else manufactures them or if they're like well, those buying are two very certain different, technologies or Those or are what. very different things. Manufacturing uh, something like that and designing it are very yeah. different. Well, I'm sure I'm sure uh, TSMC makes all the, all of them or yeah. something. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah. It's still it's pretty crazy that they can come out and say like the image quality is the same, which is like the thing that we've been talking about this whole time is like well, you obviously like you're not necessarily going to go global because like here's the downsides, mm-hmm. and I think that we're like right on the precipice of that not being the case anymore. Yeah, yeah because there was some uh, Gerald Undone did some tests with the A93, and you know I know when you and I talked about it, we were thinking you know this camera looks pretty cool, but we're just going to see how it performs and see how bad the noise was, and so it was interesting to see his test results on that. Yeah, a lot of the reviews for the A93 have been starting to hit, and it's. Like, I think they said it's shipping in March or something. So it's like it was supposed to be end of very end of February. So, I mean, we shouldn't be that far away at this point. It's it's basically coming out. Most people, all the reviewers have them in hands, that kind of thing. And, you know, base ISO 250, et cetera, et cetera. The consensus seems to be that the level of noise off of the A93 is pretty similar to uh, APS-C camera. Mm -hmm. And so if you're like, what's the noise difference between, you know, APS-C and full frame? It's like basically a stop. And that's that's where you are here. And like I assume that it's the same reason that we talked about as far as like all the reasons why those might have more noise, and like just that much less light. But I mean, if it's as much as like an APS-C camera, that's not that's not bad. Well, and what I thought was interesting about his results was that it seemed like when he was looking at the I'm not going to say I don't want to say raw because it's not raw, but like when when he was looking at the unchanged image off of like let's say the A93 versus yeah, like out of camera. Yeah, yeah, whatever else he compared it against. I don't remember. I think he's comparing it to the I thought A7 it was an, IV. Yeah, I thought it was an A7R4, but maybe it was an A7 IV. Whatever it was, it seemed like the one from the A93 what it was noisier, but it also seemed like it was cleaner than the A7 IV, and so it made it seem like. The A7 IV is doing some sort of noise reduction that you can't turn off. Yeah. And the A93 was not doing that. And I think he then applied, in post, applied some noise reduction to the A93. And the image looked more like the A7 IV, both in the sense that, you know, like like it wasn't as clean, but it, it didn't have that noise. So it kind of made it seem to me like, really, the performance isn't that bad. And if you need it to not be noisy, you can apply noise reduction to it and basically get you know, a pretty similar result to something like an A7 IV. Yeah, my takeaway was that there's the noise shouldn't be a reason why somebody shies yeah. away from the A9 III, probably just the price. Now, the other thing, though, was that everything I said is at, like, low ISOs. Yeah, so it was, so, like, what you're talking about is, like, if you compared an A9 III at ISO 250 to an A7 IV at ISO 250, the A9 III is equal, if not better, but the, the advantage of the A7 IV is it goes lower, but then if you go up and you start getting into like ISO 6400, ISO 3200, then there's an obvious noise difference. Yeah, yeah. And in those cases, the the noise on the A93 was not good. No. So no. it's it's kind of like not really too usable above 3200 mm-hmm. without uh, some significant, uh, you know, post-processing work. I mean, like a lot of the shooting you and I do where we're in dark environments, you know, we're shooting 
6400 on APS-C, you know, you could imagine that being 3200 on full frame. Sure. You know, or or even even higher. Yeah, I wouldn't want the A93 for that scenario. No, not necessarily. But I don't think that that's where where you would be wanting to use it anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, for now, I mean, we're talking, you know, the the question has kind of been are global sensors the future of photography? You know, sure. is it always going to be niche or is this just where everything's going? And five years from now, we're all going to be using global sensor cameras. I mean, I guess the jury's still out on that. It seems like right now it is like a tool for a certain job, not for every job. I think it's going to be quite the transition. I think that the like one scaling down is going to be hard. I think that these are a lot more complex and a lot more expensive because of all the extra circuitry. And so I mm-hmm. think that we're just going to see those sub $1,500 cameras be CMOS for just a really long time. Yeah, I think so too. But I would hope that, you know, in the next five years, all of like the, the thing, like the R6 line and, and those level cameras, the A7 whatevers uh, would be, you know, global eventually. Cause I think that's going to be, that's going to be where it goes. Yeah. It does seem like it'll come down eventually. I mean, I kind of think about how something like a stacked sensor really has not, like like the XH2S came out with a stack sensor, what, mm-hmm. like two and a half years ago? Yeah. And we haven't seen that on anything else. Yeah, I thought that was going to be, it was going to be everything. Like everything was going to go stacked and it seems like that's still expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I assume that these global sensors are kind of kind of like the same thing as far as like how you're arranging those pixels and that sort of stuff. It's it's not a one to one. Like it's a different type yeah, it's of a technology. different technology. But I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying is that I do think it. Uh, I do think we'll see it come to the rest of the lineup, and I do think we'll see the cost come down. But I think it might take longer than we might imagine. Yeah, probably it probably. Will. And I think that for a lot of people, I mean, rolling everybody that reviews cameras always reviews rolling shutter, and you know, and it's always this big factor they talk about. For what a lot of people do, it just really doesn't matter that much. I mean, for example, Sony cameras have traditionally had pretty bad rolling shutter. Yep. And yet they're still really popular for video. Yeah, for and sure. And so I think that it just doesn't matter to a lot of people. And that's probably going to slow down adoption on some of this stuff. I mean, we've been dealing with rolling shutter, like film cinema cameras for about, say, 10 or 15 years, which is a pretty small like amount of time compared to, you know, the length of of film and up to that point like all the stuff that we saw like with with film like actual film cameras or like ccd and those kind of things are like no rolling shutter and like the action everything has like a certain look and then everyone's always trying to like re-emulate that look and so it feels like the rolling shutter time that we're in is just gonna like come to an end and Mm. we'll be like a forgotten relic of the past like oh remember all those terrible movies that were with rolling shutter and you go in and watch them and you can't tell but like that one like film person's gonna be like, yeah, but you can tell that's really bad, right? <laughs> like, no, I can't tell. I don't know. It's just it feels it's rolling shutter is is very manageable nowadays. Yeah. And like you're right. We basically get by with it and it doesn't really matter too much in most circumstances, but it's like a it's gonna be nice when it goes away kind of thing. Cause it's like one less thing you have to worry about or think about. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It is one one less thing that can sort of go wrong with a shoot. But yeah. Like whenever your your stabilization breaks and then your your sensors like moving up and down, oh my like, gosh, oh, that was horrible. <laughs> that was the lens, right? Like, did we ever figure that out? I I mean, I haven't had a reason or an ability to figure that out, but yeah, I don't I don't know what was going on with that person's setup, but that was not good. Yeah, it was like the something with the OIS or the IBIS. It was the sensor was moving like juddering really fast, 
and it created the worst rolling shutter jello I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, because we tried to run it through stabilizer and resolve, and it was just unusable. Unusable. It was a Canon R6 with, I think, a Sigma lens on it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that was bad. So. Oh, boy, that was bad. Okay. So we, we talked about the red. I do want to kind of loop back to that because there's still some really cool stuff where it's worth talking about. But on the global sensor thing, Canon announced their new global sensors as like, here's some sensors that we're coming out yeah, with. Yeah, you kind of mentioned that. Uh, the, yeah. and, and that was at CES, you said. Yep. that's the uh, Those are the LI5030SAs. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Mm-hmm. LI3050SA. Yep. I, I know you memorize those those sensor numbers. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Put that one in the, in the memory bank. Okay. They announced two. Full frame and Super 35. The full frame is 5.7K up to up to 60 frames per second, roughly. And then the Super 35 is 4.5K up to 120 frames per second. Interesting. So those those are, that sounds like the full frame is about 26 megapixels, 24 megapixels. And then if it's 4.5 for the Super 35, that's going to be in your like 16 to 18 range, mm-hmm. I would expect. So these are definitely for video. I mean, I don't know. I think they're for photo. I think that it's a lower megapixel. Well, the, the Super 35, maybe not. That sounds like something that would go in a... We talked about a rumor for like a C50 camera because they're like, okay, sure. they're going to maybe come out with a new... Actually, they talked about the C50 being a C70 just reboxed. But like maybe the new C70 is this 4.5K. Mm, okay. That feels like yeah. the right spot to put this kind of sensor. Yeah, I could see that. Anyway, their 12-bit readout. So they're not pro... They're not like pro video camera sensors they're not like a competitor for the for the red v raptor or Komodo or whatever because 12 bits are basically what we do now yeah right so it's a seems like a consumer grade level you know that zero to ten thousand dollar range and uh they're touting 15 stops of uh exposure differential so roughly 15 stops of dynamic range mm-hmm. which as we previously discussed if it does 12 stops it can't do 15 stops of dynamic range 12 bits can't do 15 stops yeah 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 yeah, kind of sounds like they're uh, playing that marketing game. Yep. Anyway, if if you said 15 stops of exposure, you know, range, and a 12-bit readout, that is like right up the middle for basically every single hybrid mirrorless camera yeah. right now. I mean, this seems like Canon preparing to compete against the A9 III. Like, these are, these are sensors that would go in quote-unquote normal cameras. Yep, they sure are. And I'm wondering, like... Is that 5.7K full frame what is going to go into the EOS 1? Yeah, that's a good question. Did you see R1? Did you see that Canon just dropped the price on the R3 and the R5? Shoot. Yeah. I did not see that. Yeah, they dropped the price of the, let's see, let me try and get this right. I think they dropped the price of the R3 by $1,000 and the R5 by $500. That's, and when I that's say pretty that, good. that's not a deal. That's not like a short term, you know, we're running a sale this month. That's like a permanent price drop on those cameras. Okay. And so people are wondering what the deal is. Like, is this Canon needing to compete, which maybe it is, or is it that they're, you know, preparing to release an R5 Mark II, uh, R1, you know, various things like that. And they just feel like, you know, let's let's lower the price of these other ones. So nobody, it's, nobody it's all coming, man. This is a big camera year. It's it Olympics. Is. It's it 2024. Is. Yep. And it's a leap year. 
Man, it's like all those leap yeah. pictures. I mean, imagine how many more cameras could come out on February 29th. It's a whole extra day yeah. that cameras could be released. Exactly. It's that's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a yeah. whole lot. So now I'm wondering, like you said, if this uh, these new sensors might show up in some of those cameras. I, I mean, I think it's so far going to be late spring before we see anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's coming. I yeah. the, the R1 for sure is just been needed. Yeah. Like we're all waiting. Bated breath. What's Canon going to do? Global yeah. sensor? Who knows? I mean, maybe it's this one. Could be. Okay. Back to this V-Raptor slash V-Raptor XL. Okay. We, we talked about it being like the same, same like body. It has all the things, right? It's got like the, the D3 mount deal and it has like the two 12G SDI outputs and, and the whole, whole nine yards, CF Express B, V-mount, all that stuff. Okay. Which apparently people aren't really that into, like there's some people who aren't into V-mount. Weird. Do you know yeah. why? Like, what do they have against it? Apparently, like the the mounting like component on the is is most of them are plastic. Mm-hmm. And the like, concern is like if your battery demount, like if the mount breaks, you could like shut off. Oh uh, well, I mean, you wouldn't want to shut off. So sure, I don't know what the other option is. I yeah. mean, what, what are we looking for? Like proprietary batteries? Well, or something? I know there's something called gold mount, which is sort of like V mount. So maybe that's what they're talking about. But I don't know. I, don't know. I thought I was. I've just been so into V mount. Yeah. I've been blind to everything else. Yeah. I mean, there's like a pro level above the pro level. I so, thought the V-mount was the one truth. Yeah, I thought so too. I guess, guess not. Yep. Anyways. Okay. A few new features that are coming with this with this global sensor thing. And like I watched Red's announcement for this and it was the most like dense amalgamation of buzzwords and technical words <laughs> that I couldn't tell the difference. They were talking about like their thermoelectric cooler and they're like drive plate this and global sensor that and DSM three this. And I was like, everybody just, just calm down. <laughs> well, we're just going to take one word at a time. Anyways, they have this like red global vision thing. And I don't, I don't even know what that is. I don't know if that's like their roadmap or if that's like, if that's the name of the sensor. No, if it's like the, the, like all these new tools and things that they're coming out with. Yeah. It's like, there's a number of them. We've already talked about the extended highlights, but the other cool thing that they're doing as a result of the global sensor is this phantom tracks thing. You've seen, you've seen the Mandalorian and like where it's like, here's this giant cyclonic led wall or whatever. Sure. And like they shoot these, they'll shoot things where they have the unreal engine background. that's like live while they're acting. Right. Right. And then, you know, they don't have to do the green screen in post. Yeah. Well, what they will what will commonly be done is they will do alternating green screen and image. Now, why so would that, they do that? So that you can get both. Like you, you run through the action. Oh. Okay. You have a green screen version, and then you have a like an actual background version as like a reference or as the final version. But it gives you the option to be able to do more in post okay. because you have that green screen. Version. I didn't realize they did that. It's pretty cool. So one of the new features off of this is that you can set up that ghost track, which is the one with the green screen on it, to be off of the same camera. And so this thing will output off of one of the SDIs, the green screen version, and one of the SDIs, the not green screen That's version. That's pretty cool. It's basically like splitting the frames and giving you two feeds out. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I like that. It's pretty stinking cool. I mean, it makes me wonder, like, you know, we talked a while back about how shooting movies in 3D, how they would have to get like a two camera setup yeah, and build and like this big box thing to make that work. Mm-hmm. And now I'm wondering, is there some scenario where you could do that, but with just a single camera? I mean, sure. If you like, 
the word that we're looking for here first is Genlock to like make all that synchronization well, work. Well, yeah, you wouldn't have to but, do that if you had one camera. But if you had one camera, I mean, I guess like you still need to have the two different angles. And so you'd have to have some sort of complex array of mirror that can like move out of the way every whatever second. I don't um, know. Yeah, I don't know. M- maybe, maybe not. There's a lot of unexplained phenomena in the world that really could be explained by a complex system of mirrors. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there and let people think about it. But any anything that you've wondered, how is this possible? I can't believe my eyes. There is like this is like this is like a, a scientific theorem that I'm just coming up with here. But I feel like for anything like that, there is a sufficiently complex set of mirrors that would enable that to happen. And this is uh, in the scale of those things. What I'm describing today is a much simpler arrangement of mirrors. So normally you cut me off and in the show, but this is the part where I reach across the desk and then I press the end of the, end of the show button. <laughs> That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.